0: The truth is, not every baby, when you look at them, is actually really beautiful. <laughs> careful, careful. This is a corporate secret. Because you know what? You know when people have a baby and everybody, oh, wow, lovely, lovely. And sometimes you go and think like, no chin. It's got no chin. Or it's got long neck. Or, now, look, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is like a corporate secret, okay? It's true. Now, let me just share something else. Every mum and dad who's presented that baby, they know. They already know. They know their baby's got no chin or no hair or too much hair. They already know. Here is the biggest reward. They love that baby, no matter what. I was thinking about that this week. You know what? How we think. Oh, look at that thought look at this, what about that long legs, short legs, fat tummy this, that, other, whatever and they're only a baby my father in heaven loves every one of us because we are his children, he loves us, he knows about all of that, fat, thin whatever, he knows about it all and he has made a choice in heaven, I don't care what they say I know when your mum or that dad is holding their baby, you know what, I don't care what the rest of you think, this is my baby and I love this baby. It's the truth. Just let God's truth sink into our hearts. We need to remember that no matter, because we look in the mirror and you know what, you look in the mirror and you think like, <gasps> you're holding it in. or you're t- you, you We all know that stuff, alright? Oh, my legs, they, you know, it never looks good. And all that stuff that goes on. Ladies, yes. <laughs> Guys, yes. <laughs> Every one of us. Father in heaven is looking down. I love you. God sees potential in us. Let's stop all of this rubbish of putting ourselves down. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. That's what he says. He sent his own son to die for us. So be encouraged with that. Corporate secret is out now, okay? But it go back to corporate secret, because as far as we're concerned, every baby is beautiful. Every baby is a gift from God. Amen. Let's just have a quick look at our video again. Saves me preaching. Amen. Amen. So the idea of these little short videos is just so that we get a a taster of what we've got. And over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah and trying to understand a little bit about this story. Most people, if you'd say to them about Jonah, and this is not everybody is a Bible reader, I understand that, but most people, when you're talking about Jonah, they're going to think about Jonah and the whale. That's what they're going to say. I was talking to one of our children down the front here this morning. I said, what do you think if I say Jonah? He says whale. I said, that's the right answer. But there's more to the story than just Jonah and a big fish. And so we want to unpack this a little bit and look at what God can teach us through this. Jonah was one of what we call the minor prophets. It doesn't mean that he actually dug coal from the ground. It just means that he was one of the lesser. You know, when you have prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and if you turn to those in the Bible, they're they're fat books. You know, like 60 chapters, 50 chapters. Jonah is four chapters. So that, that sort of gives some idea of the major prophets have a lot to say. The minor prophets didn't have so much to say. But he was still a prophet from God. Jonah, actually in Hebrew, means dove. So was he like a dove? Was he peaceful and graceful? I don't know. But that's what his name means. And at the beginning of the book it says that he is the son of a Mattai, And what that means, truth or telling the truth. So it's something, if you're looking at names or what's being told us in the Bible, then we've got this idea of a dove-like, truth-telling prophet. That's what we're looking at. And that is Jonah. And he is serving God. His function is to declare the word of God, God's word to people on earth and to let them know what God is thinking, what God wants to say to them. So I don't know whether you've read this recently, but we're going to read or have the words come up here and I'll read it through the first chapter of Jonah. I want you to pay attention to this and I want you to think about it. Because that way, as we unpack this, you will see certain things. So let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to your word, we believe that your word is living and active. And therefore, we pray, let your word come to our hearts. Let your word illuminate our minds. And let your word speak to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation. The Lord gave this message... To Jonah, son of Amatai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. By By all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down upon us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the it was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. We're going to unpack this briefly, just with these headings that are going to come up now. We want to set the scene, if you like, of what's going on. And first of all, we want to look at God's mission. God had something on his heart that he was wanting to do, wanting to accomplish, and he wanted to involve his prophet Jonah. So he was wanting to send him, and he said this to him, Go to the great city of Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. That's where Jonah was being sent. Now, Nineveh is found in modern-day Iraq. It is actually surrounded by the city of Mosul which is in the news a lot at the moment, because the Iraqi soldiers are fighting ISIS and trying to reclaim that city street by street, building by building. It's a terrible thing that's happening and every now and again we hear about it in the news. So that great city is still in the news today. And that's the city that Nineveh, was, uh, that uh, Jonah was supposed to go and visit. It is actually a very ancient city is actually mentioned, it was uh, formed by Nimrod, the warrior Nimrod, who is named early on in Genesis. So it's one of the very earliest cities that was founded, and it's still around, or it's still there today. Its ruins are there today, and as I say, it's now surrounded by this modern city in Iraq. It's a large city. Certainly in Jonah's time it was the greatest uh, population of all the cities of the Assyrian Empire. So it was a great big city, And actually, later on in Jonah, we read that if you're going to visit this city, to actually get across the city, to get around the city, it's going to take you three days. So we're not talking about a village. We're not talking about a large uh, sort of town. We are talking about a great city with a great population. And God was saying to his prophet, I want you to go to that city, and I want you to pronounce my judgments. In fact, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Go and preach Against it. We want to have encouragement brought to us. We want to hear good things. But God wanted Jonah to go and preach against that city. To go and declare to it that God's judgment was going to come against it. In actual fact, the message that he was to bring was this. 40 days from now, God is going to destroy this city. Just imagine if somebody came to us. We have a sense that something like that is happening in our nation at the moment. With all the terror that's coming, with this awful destruction, this fire last week, even though it hasn't happened to us, it's happened in the city, or it's happened in the nation. And we as the people of that nation feel something about it. God is coming to speak to Nineveh, and he's saying to the Ninevites, or he wants to say to the Ninevites, 40 days from now, six weeks from now, God is going to bring judgment on this city. That's what he wanted to do. So the expectation was that Jonah, who had received this message from God, was to go to this city and this truth-telling dove-like man was to go and to declare to them God's destruction upon them. Now why did God want to send Jonah and why did he want this message? Because it says... Its wickedness has come before me. Or actually in the New Living it says, Because I have seen how wicked the people are. In Hebrews 4 it says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him before whom we must give account. God sees everything that is happening. You know, we don't often think about that. In fact, because we're going about our daily life, our ordinary tasks, we just think that, well, God is there. Yes, he helps me, but we're not always thinking that he's got a camera on me. He's got a microphone around me. He's got a film crew around me. He is seeing. He is watching. He knows exactly what is happening. We see various understanding of this coming in other parts of Scripture. There's the story of Cain and Abel where Cain kills his brother because he's jealous over the fact that God is accepting his sacrifice and not his. And it says in the Bible about how God is saying that the blood of Cain is crying out to him. You see, when people are killed, when somebody is knifed, when a youngster is knifed in London, it's as though that spot, the blood that has been spilt, is calling out to God. Just imagine where there has been battle, where there has been warfare, Just imagine the voice, if we could hear it, the cry that goes up before God. And you know in in Leviticus, which isn't necessarily a book that a lot of people love or want to go to, but in that book it tells us about the fact that sin defiles a land. The very fact that when we sin, there is a corruption that we are causing that comes and affects the land where we are. And it's those things that, as it were, go up before God. And he was looking down upon this nation. In fact, in Leviticus, it talks there about the sexual sins that the people had committed in the land before the Israelites moved in. And it says there that God is instructing the Israelites, do not do these things as the people there do. Don't do them because they defile the land. And when the land becomes defiled, it's like the land wants to vomit you up. We all know what it's like to be sick. It's like your stomach is turning inside out. And it's like God is saying, when sin comes upon a land, when people are rebellious, when people don't care about the things of God, it's almost like the land wants to throw them up or throw them out. Reject them. This had been happening in this city. So in this great big city amongst this great big population in Nineveh, all sorts of sins were happening. All sorts of attitudes and behavior were going on. For them it was everyday life just as we're seeing everyday life. You know what, everyday life is happening in London. The fire that hit that block was terrible, but we're also seeing corruption and sin and people getting in on the back of it, people saying and doing things. Of course there needs to be justice. Of course there needs to be justice. Of course things like this need to be prevented so it doesn't happen again but it doesn't mean that you put a mask on and you start protesting in the name of some political party or something like that. All sorts of other stuff comes in, and our papers get behind it, and it stirs up all sorts of anger and frustration. You think there isn't enough anger and frustration amongst the people who have lost somebody? You see how things can happen? Corruption happens. Sin happens. It goes up before God, and it's as though he can smell it. He can see it, and it affects him. This had happened in this ancient city of Nineveh. And as far as God was concerned, its wickedness had come up before him. And therefore, he was going to act. And he was going to do something. That was God's mission that he was wanting to accomplish. So, God's mission, point one. But point two is this. Jonah's action. So we know what God's mission is. We know what God is wanting to do. And we know why God is wanting to do it. So now we have his prophet, Jonah. He is the man. And Jonah takes a ship in the opposite direction. How far did he go? Let's have a quick look at our map. There's Nineveh over there in what is modern-day Iraq. Joppa was a port on the edge of Israel... And Tarshish is at the bottom of Spain. So basically, he's headed off for Gibraltar. He's paid his money. Look, it, He had decided to do this. It's like us saying, like, I'm going to fly to Australia. Well, You've got to p- get the money together. You've got to go and buy your airline ticket. You've got to get on down to the airport. You've got to pack your bags. You've got to go off. It's all deliberate, okay? This isn't just like, oh, I fancy flying somewhere today. I fancy catching a boat ride. Let's, oh, look where I've ended up. He deliberately thought about this. He collects his money and he gets on a boat and he goes in the opposite direction. So whereas he was supposed to be travelling 500 miles on foot or camel or whatever, going up to the city of Nineveh, he's on a boat and is all the way going off to Tarshish. That is where Jonah is going. If only he had read the Psalms. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, read like this Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. But it looks like that's one of the verses he cut out of his Bible. Because he was trying to run away from God. He was angry. He was frustrated. So he has packed his bags and he decides to flee from the Lord. Now, as we're listening to this story, I, at this point I thought to myself, well, how stupid. How stupid was he? You can't get away from God. And I thought, like, there am I, sitting in my chair, thinking about the stupidity of Jonah. And I was thinking, well, I'd never do anything like that. And then, as you sort of stop and think, well, we do. We forget that God is around us. We forget that he's watching. We don't consider that God is everywhere present. Because if we did, we wouldn't be looking at some of the things that we want to look at. We wouldn't be watching some of the TV programs that we are looking at. We're just assuming that this is what people do, and God can't see. He can't see us opening the fridge and taking out another bottle of wine. He can't see us in the telephone conversations we're having. With, You know what I mean? So who's stupid? Is it just Jonah? Or is it actually every one of us? Because we don't think that we cannot escape from God's presence. We're not thinking that he doesn't see. We're not thinking that he isn't there where we are in the arguments and in the frustrations that we get ourselves involved in or in the things that we want to keep hidden and secret in our lives. We're thinking that God can't see or God doesn't know. Just exactly like Jonah. But God is everywhere present and he sees everything that we do. So Jonah is on his ship, and he is going in the opposite direction. It says, despite a fearful storm, Jonah goes below deck and falls asleep. So when he's on the boat, and I would imagine that he sailed out from port and everything was fine, and Jonah was just probably thinking like holiday thoughts. I I don't know. Had he been to Spain before? Had he known about it? What was it like? What's the food like, you know? What's the hotel going to be like? I, I don't know what he was thinking. He was sort of thinking, I think, holiday thoughts. He was thinking relaxed thoughts. He was thinking like, life is good. I can do what I want because I want my life to go my way. He was thinking those things. And then sometime, it doesn't say when, but it does say this. It's like God hurled down upon the sea this mighty wind. It reminds me of the situation on the lake where the disciples who were fishermen, were out on the lake with Jesus sleeping in the boat, all at peace, and this storm comes up on the water. It's another situation like that. The storm that comes up, we see the sailors were terrified. Now, you know what it is with a boat. The idea is you take cargo from one place to another. And you know why you do that? You make money out of the cargo. You ship it for a price. So you know something serious when they're throwing the cargo overboard. You, you know that you've gone past the point. You've gone past the place where you think like, our lives matter far more than profit. Something's gotta give. It, it, no longer it cares. The people in the building, when the fire was there, they were not thinking about their iPhones. They were not thinking about anything precious. They were thinking about one thing alone. How do I save my life? When you get to that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're walking out and there's one guy I saw on the news, he's just got a dressing gown on and he's in his boxer shorts. It doesn't matter because I managed to get my family out. He was one of those that was lucky enough to do that. Many others couldn't get out. But you know what I mean, when it really comes to it, nothing else matters. My life matters. On this boat, that's how the sailors felt. Nothing else matters, get rid of this stuff. Who cares about our profits? Who cares about our money? We're gonna die. If something doesn't happen, we're gonna die. And these guys, they are calling upon their gods. Because you know at times of peril, people start to look for something outside of themselves. And they were looking for something beyond themselves. We need help, we've got beyond it. We don't know what to do. Now that's the scene. Where is Jonah? Where is Jonah, is he helping out? Has he come to assist? Has he come to see what the problems are? Has he come to give a hand? Has he come to give a word of encouragement? Does he know about the God of heaven and earth? Yes, he does. But where is he? He is asleep. He's gone below deck and he's just gone to sleep. Now, when you think of it, you think like, how did he manage that? What has actually caused him to become able to cut himself off from the trauma and the terror that everybody else is going through. He's just taken himself out. He's just detached himself, as it were, from that situation. Now, I don't know exactly know why the storm came, but I know, and we could debate about, was this God's wrath against him? What what was the purpose of the storm? The purpose of the storm, as far as God was concerned, is I want to get everybody's attention. I want to get hold of everybody's attention. And this is one of the ways in which I am able to do it. Jonah was running in the opposite direction. God knew it. God could see where he was. And it wasn't just about punishment. God cared for Jonah. God cared for the people of Nineveh. And God cared for those sailors who were on board that ship. So God uses the storm... To speak into everybody's life. To speak to Jonah. But all those around him as well. So here we're seeing that the sailors who were fearful of their lives. They were being spoken to. Listen, when we are in disobedience. Disobedience doesn't just harden our hearts. It literally sends us to sleep. Jonah was disobedient. He was going away from what God had asked him to do. And as we do that, as we get into disobedience, as we get away from doing what God wants us to do, there's a slumber that comes upon us. A numbness that comes to our spirits. Something causes us to lose connection with what's going on around us. There's two types of sleep that I know of in my own life. There's that type of sleep where you're feeling tired, so you put the TV on, I'll just watch the news, or I'll just watch this for five minutes. Really what you mean is, give me an opportunity to close my eyes. Because usually after about five minutes, you're just sort of like in this realm of sleep. And yet, you know, in those sort of situations, like after a big lunch or something, you just say, give me five minutes in the chair. And you're in this realm of sleep, but somehow you're asleep, so you, you don't want... It's almost like everything goes slow. You don't want to break into what's going on around you, but you, you're aware of what's happening, but you don't really have any strength to do anything about it. You can almost hear, oh, is he asleep? You can almost hear other people speaking to you, and you don't respond because you, you're not really fully asleep, but you're in this place of numbness. You know that type of thing? Well, I know it because it does happen to me. And then there's another type of sleep I have, which is in my bed, which is where you put the head on the pillow and That type of sleep, you do not know anything that's going on around you. You're you're dead to the world, as it were. You're you're out of it. Both the sleep, one you have some idea of something going on around you, but in both instances you have no power to do anything. Disobedience brings slumber. And slumber can just bring us into a place where we are unaware of what is going on around us unaware, unable to respond, even if we could hear some people saying something, there's something that's so numbed us that we become unaware of what to do about it. Why had Jonah done these things? Jonah feared that he was going to be made to look stupid. Now that didn't come across to us in the chapter that we read, but if you were to read the other chapters of Jonah then we would understand it. Here is a prophet, and he is a good prophet. We don't know any other prophecies that he's made, but we believe that as he's there in Scripture, God is favoring him, and God knows that he has this task for him to do. So God has invested enough trust in this man to be able to deliver his word to the Ninevites. So God trusts him. God knows him. God knows something in his heart. But you know what? Jonah had no respect for the Ninevites at all. He didn't care about them. Key, he did not love them. He didn't love them. I think i was going so far as to say this, he resented them and he resented their lifestyle. Now, Jonah was a godly man. He followed the Lord, he followed Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's the God he followed But he didn't like the Ninevites. And Jonah feared what he knew of the Lord. He knew that God was a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who forgives. And Jonah literally was concerned about this. If I go and deliver the message that God has given to me, which is in 40 days, destruction is coming upon you. And there's something about that that, yes, that's what needs to happen. Yes, that's right. You deserve this. That's his heart. His fear was that God would show his compassionate side and that he would go and make Jonah look stupid because his prophetic word wouldn't come to pass. That was at the heart of Jonah's rebellion. That fear that I'm going to be made to look stupid. I am somebody. I have got a message to give. I can actually... Give this to the people and they're going to get destroyed and they deserve it. They get what's due to them. That's right, God. You are a God of greatness. You are a God of wrath. But, oh, no, if he doesn't do that, I'm going to look stupid. And who likes to look stupid? Nobody likes to look stupid. Nobody likes to look stupid. But it says in Jonah 4, verse 3, Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah was saying that. It's recorded. This is nothing less than self-protection, self-concern, selfishness. That's Jonah's problem. He was selfish and he wanted to protect himself. Listen, God has given every one of us a mission. A mission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. That is the mission that God has given to each of us. The question I look at myself and we need to ask ourselves is, what is my action towards God's mission? What is the? What are the ways that I'm going about that mission? How am I involving myself in it? Am I like what God wants me to be like going forward? Yes, pursuing, getting involved in the nitty-gritty of actually carrying out his mission. Am I waiting for the opportunity? Or perhaps I am, I am waiting for the opportunity. I'm just waiting to be asked. I'm waiting for God to tell me what I need to do next. I'm waiting on God to actually instruct me. I'm waiting for him. Look, I'm ready. Where are you, God? What's going on? You see, we can be saying we're waiting, but we're waiting on him as if he's got to do something. And maybe God is just waiting upon us. I wonder if our inaction, my inaction, is really due to the fact that I don't want to be made to look stupid. I want to protect my name. I want to protect myself. If I go out and preach to the people in the shops and I've got my family with me, are they going to be all embarrassed and saying, Dad, Dad, why are you doing that? For goodness sake, keep quiet. Am I going to be... Feeling embarrassed about actually owning the name of Jesus or speaking boldly and telling people, This is what you need to hear. You need to know God because God is the only one who can save you, the only one who can help you. But am I afraid of saying that in public? Am I fearful of what others may think? Am I protecting myself? Am I actually more concerned about my reputation? Am I being selfish in the way that Jonah was being selfish? It's a challenge. People who do not know God are condemned already, is what the word says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. How can people believe the message unless we go and preach to them? we need awakening in our hearts just the same as Jonah need awakening in his life because disobedience causes slumber disobedience means that we cannot <coughs> accomplish God's purposes let's just look at Jonah here things about Jonah, Jonah loved God Jonah hated iniquity but Jonah was jealous for himself rather than God and God has said this I will share my glory with no other person God's not interested in our glory God is interested in his own glory that his own name is raised up and that is a challenge for us all. Obedience to God's command is necessary but we all know that's easier said than actually done. Loving others is a command that we are given, but it's a command, not a suggestion. It's something that we're supposed to be getting on to do. And we need to remember that slumber is real and it can affect us. It can cause us to be numbed, it can cause us to no longer be aware of what's going on around us. It can cause us to be in a place of complete indifference. God doesn't want us to have stubborn hearts, he wants us to have willing hearts. Jonah had got up and gone, but he'd gone in the opposite direction. He'd gone to do his own thing. He'd gone his own way. And I've got to bring this to a very swift conclusion today, so I'm glad we're carrying on with this next week. What happened? God is gracious, is merciful, is kind. The sailors were keen to know about Jonah and his God, because desperation was coming upon them. Jonah says to them, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That terrified them even more. Even in the midst of this storm, they knew about gods, they were religious people, they may be following an an idol as we would call it, but there was a sense in which they were looking for help with somebody that was beyond them and suddenly Jonah is saying, the God that I serve is the God who has made the heavens and the earth, the one who has created the seas. What on earth have you done? And he tells them, I'm running away from the Lord. How can we solve this situation? And Jonah, because he's so full of his own selfishness, he recognizes the only way you can solve it, guys, is throwing me into the sea. And so they pick up Jonah. They are nervous. In actual fact, when you read that chapter, did you notice? They didn't just pick up Jonah and threw him in what they did was they rowed harder to see if actually they could get the boat back to shore. They tried everything in their power and they realised this isn't going to work. What are we going to do? We're going to have to throw him in. So they actually prayed to God. God, deliver us. Help us. It's not us. Don't blame us for this man's sin. Don't look at us. But now we're going to cast him in. And you can imagine, they threw him in to this turbulent water. And as Jonah is sinking... Beneath the waves, suddenly the storm is gone. It's gone. You can imagine the terror that came over there. It's not think, oh, this is all about Jonah. God cares for all people. God is interested in those people who were following their gods. He wanted to bring them to know him. And so when the storm stopped, because this was a raging storm, and suddenly it's still. Wow, how gracious God is. They knew that he was God. In fact, their actions depicted, I think they were saved at this moment. Salvation was coming to them because they then sacrificed to this God and they said that they were going to follow him. So it's like they were saved at this point. And Jonah, he was sinking down because his disobedience He had his just results of his disobedience, which was that he was going to die. But God is merciful beyond what we know. And even though every one of us deserves death because of what we have done, God sent a big fish to rescue him. Do you understand that God is a God who gives second chances? God is a God who redeems us out of sinful positions. God is a God who reaches into our circumstances and raises us up and still gives us hope and a future even though we have been against Him. That is the God that we serve and it is the God that we see in evidence before us. So as I finish this, let me just make these points to you. Selfishness... Self-protection, which I see evidenced in my own life. I don't know about you, but I can see that evidenced in my life. That I want to protect myself and my name because I fear what other people will think if I actually go to them and say, you need Jesus. They're going to think I'm strange or weird, or what do I say next? So I tell you what, I'll just be quiet. That self-protectionism brings slumber to us. And it's selfishness. Let's not try and pretend it's something different. It's protecting ourselves. It is selfishness, and I can see that in my own life. But that keeps us from fulfilling the work of God. When we're going completely in the wrong direction, this story is telling us that God can bring us back. When we've got a ticket and we're going the wrong way, when we've put our resources in going to the wrong way, God still has the ability to bring us back wherever we are. He can do that. And there is a message of great hope in what we are hearing today about this story. God is the God of the second chance. I wrote two scriptures down which both have been shared already today. Lamentations, the book of the day. Chapter 3, verses 22 and 3. Because of God's, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Hebrews 4.16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help in our time of need. If there's anything that we can learn from Jonah, it is this. Jonah was riddled with selfishness. And that caused him to be disobedient, and disobedience takes you into slumber. But God is merciful, and he can draw us back. We need to come to a point where we recognize what is happening in our lives, and that we turn back to God. We need to cry to God, God, remove the slumber from our lives. Every area where we are unaware we've gone to sleep. Where we're unaware of what's going on around us. Because it's come upon our hearts. We need you to awaken us. And you are able to do it because we see you've done it for other people. What you have done for Jonah, you sent a fish to rescue him. You are able to do for us. God's purposes shall never be thwarted. His plans shall never be overcome. He shall accomplish what his heart desires. He will see people being rescued. He will see people being saved. And he wants to use his people to do it. But we can fall into slumber and we need to throw that slumber off. We need to seek God and to call upon him that he would rescue us and draw us back into himself. Let's rise together as we sing a song.